Uh, if, if you came in this door, you may have noticed a gentleman outside the door. Okay. Uh, he was out there, I don't know, a year or two ago. We encountered him a year or two ago because people downtown ran into him during evangelism and he didn't like what he heard. So he is coming here to inform us all of the truth. He believes that all of you women are dressed immodestly, every single one of you. He does not attend a church. <laughs> he needs to be prayed for. Okay. Um, he believes that we are all wicked. He believes that we are false teachers. Every one of you, including this young man here, anybody who stands in this pulpit, he needs Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Father, I, I know this man means well, but Father, he's deceived. Father, he does not believe in the church. Father, he has, he has opinions, Father, that, that he needs to repent of. Father, I pray that he would know not only the truth of Jesus Christ, but he would also know the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray that he would not only know law, but he would know love. Father, and, and as the brethren here encounter him today, I pray that we encounter him filled with grace and truth, just like your son Jesus came filled with. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Well, how's my sound? Good? All right, well... It's actually quite uh, providential and strangely fitting for the uh, text that I want to bring before us this morning, which uh, the subject that I want to deal with this morning is spiritual alertness, spiritual alertness. And uh, we want to go ahead and open our Bibles to Mark chapter 13, that's... Uh, the scripture that we're going to be looking at to examine this theme of spiritual alertness. And uh, it's part of the Olivet Discourse, which is complicated, but we're going to try to keep it simple and relevant to, to where we are um, right here and now in our need for spiritual alertness. And uh, I'm just going to begin reading at verse 32 in the end of Mark. Hello, Mark 13. Verse 32 in Mark 13. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, verse 35, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, 
or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, here we are, your people gathered to give heed to your word. Lord, one of these great needs in the hour that we live in is spiritual awakeness. All manner of religious deception, Lord, is all around. We want to be those who are awake, who are shining bright light, Lord. We know that your word is the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. We need for your word to illuminate our eyes and keep us in a state of spiritual alertness and readiness and watchfulness, Lord, because all manner of threats surround us, Lord, please. Use just the simple, weak proclamation of your word, Lord God, that's in this practice, Lord God, in this ritual we do every Sunday, that something between my lips and the people's ears, there would be your Holy Spirit applying this word to individual hearts in their individual states, Lord God, of need. Please, Lord God, I feel so weak. But in your weakness, in my weakness, your strength is made perfect. So please, Lord, use this weak man to, to minister your word to this precious gathering of your flock, Lord God. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Mark 13, our subject is spiritual alertness. And so you might wonder, uh, why preach this sort of sermon on spiritual alertness? And I think one of the reasons is, well, because Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus is doing this right there for his disciples. And right at that end, verse in 37, he says, what I say to you, my disciples, I say to all. So this is not something just relegated to the, the, the people that were with him on the Olivet Discourse Mount. Um, it's for all Christians in all generations. All of us need to have this, this spurring towards awakeness and alertness. And so I'm doing it because Jesus did. He, he, he knew what he was warning us about when he was telling us to stay awake. And, uh, yeah, that's just the first simple point is that everyone is, is vulnerable. The disciples were vulnerable. We know that so shortly after Jesus is giving them this stern and sobering command, stay awake, guys, stay awake, stay awake, Gethsemane hits. And what happens? In his, like the apex of his, his, his anguish prior to the cross, sweat and drops of blood. And he's like, okay, guys, just watch and pray with me. I just want you to stay awake for a little while and pray intercessory prayer for me. Pray for this hour. And they, the disciples of Jesus, fall asleep. And that's physical sleep, I, I, I grant that, but he's calling for a spiritual alertness, a physical alertness. I know it's Sunday morning and some of us maybe didn't get the best sleep, um, but we, we want to give Jesus our, our attention here and be spiritually alert even in this building because <laughs> even inside of a healthy church, Amidst genuine Christians, genuine churches, we see in Scripture at different points this kind of really sobering command, and he's saying, stay, stay awake. Now, just by way of encouragement, I want to say, this is the most awake church that I've ever had the privilege of being a part of. I am so helped by the ministry of God's Word in this 
particular church. I'm so helped by the the fellowship that I get to enjoy with all of you. I'm super helped in my spiritual alertness by the, the emphasis on evangelism, uh, the, the, the emphasis on prayer, the, the, the hospitality emphasis, the constant hanging out in each other's houses. I'm helped. And so I, I hope you won't hear me saying this is some sort of like, you guys all need to wake up because you're sleeping. That's, that's not the angle I'm getting at, but the angle I am getting at is what Jesus said. He says, okay, stay awake. You're in a state of awakeness. Wonderful, wonderful, but stay there. Stay there. Genuine churches, genuine churches need these sort of little prods and spurs and admonitions and warnings to to stay in a state of spiritual alertness. So that's one of the reasons I've chosen this particular sermon, not because I detect some glaring like, wow, we're just falling asleep at the wheel, but because I want us to stay awake. Jesus wants us to stay awake. And I, and I, I want us to actually take even higher grounds of alertness because Lord knows that the time that we live in at this present dark, deceptive, weird hour is, uh, it calls for it. Every generation of Christians really has this, this need to, to be in a state of alertness. But I mean, I don't know if you guys are tuned in to like the news and stuff, but there's just such, <laughs> if the past three years have taught you anything, um, it's that things can get really weird really quickly. And it just, it's like, it just keeps getting weirder. I'm seeing this stuff about Artificial intelligence? You guys tuned into any of that buzz? Artificial intelligence is just getting so much airtime. Um, alien disclosure is getting all kinds of airtime on the news and stuff. And then just to make it even more like sci-fi, Apple is coming out with something called Apple Vision Pro. Have any of you ever seen this dystopian, weird object that is going to hit the market soon? Maybe it's already out of the market. Apple Vision Pro. It is literally a iPhone laptop on your face. It looks like the Matrix. It's weird. It's creepy. And so we're living in a time when it's like the... The eyelids are just getting heavier. The spiritual darkness is like flooding in and Jesus is giving us this call, stay, stay awake. Because <laughs> if we as Christians think that because we're Christians in a good church with, with good doctrine and prayerfulness and that that somehow makes us immune or untouchable to the encroaching darkness and deception, then if we think that way, if we think, oh, I'm safe, I don't, I don't really need to be all that worried about it. The Lord saved me. I'm good. Jesus is not talking that way. He's giving us a means to maintain our awakeness by giving us these these sobering, strong mornings. So that's part of why I'm doing this particular sermon about spiritual alertness. Another reason is because I just feel it for myself, guys. I've heard it said that you preach best what you need most. And I need to stay awake. I mean... I have moments and and seasons, good stretches, because of all the various graces that are pouring into my life through this church. I have some good stretches of just feeling like, man, I'm I'm awake, I'm sober, I'm sensible of the goodness of God. I'm seeing the 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 light from Jesus' face, the glory of God. It's just I'm delighted by it. I'm I'm living in the light. I'm walking as a child of light. And then 
even after having states like that, I have states where I just feel like I'm sleepwalking. Sleepwalking. And I need something to jolt me out of it. I need something to just shake me. And that's why I praise God that so often, it's not me stirring myself to wakefulness, but it's, it's you guys. It's grace groups. It's prayer meetings. It's worship songs. It's the ministry of the Word. It's hospitality. It's a text message. It's a sermon. It's all manner of things from a awake body that when my eyes get heavy, someone else taps in, gives me that little nudge. And so I'm, I'm praying that this sermon will be precisely that, just a, a, a gentle means for those who are already pretty awake of just saying, hey, stay awake. And I'm aware that in this room, there's, there's probably varying degrees of, of sobriety and wakefulness. So for some of you, this is just going to be like a stay awake message, and you're just going to receive it as a, uh, a, a gentle encouragement to do what you already, by the grace of God, are doing actively. You're making use of the, the means. You're, you're, you're keeping your lamp lit. You have oil in that lamp. You're reading your word. You're praying. You're in attendance at most of the meetings. Praise God. This will just be an encouragement for saying, hey, keep, keep doing that. Keep, keep awake. For others, this will maybe have not as encouraging of a flavor, um, maybe the onset of weariness is starting to kick in. I mean, you're still awake, but there's just a sense where your eyelids are growing heavy for whatever reason. There's many reasons, but your eyelids are growing heavy, and maybe this will be not just a gentle tap on the shoulder, but a little bit of a, a jolt, and, and those things are needed. I mean, if we love each other, if we're going to be like iron sharpening iron, there's going to be some sparks flying. There's going to be some friction. There's going to be some agitation, some stirring one another up to love and good works, and sometimes that's in the form of a uh, a sermon that makes you a little squirmy, like, oh man, I'm, I, I am kind of nodding off at the wheel. But then there's still a, another category of people, and you're like, perhaps in Revelation 3, the church of Sardis is given this, this really kind of alarming rebuke and it's because they, they have like a reputation of being awake. So your self-assessment and the assessment of other people is, that guy's on, that guy's awake. And yet, unperceived by others and unperceived by uh, the individual, there's this need for, wake up, wake up. That's a whole church that they're talking to. So, yeah, for, for some, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's in this room. I don't know what everyone's various states of alertness are. But perhaps for someone, it's, it's time to wake up. And we all have the different things that make us get weary, make us get tired, make us droop our eyelids, distract us. Uh, ask the Lord, even now, Lord, search me. How am I doing here? Am I awake right now? Am I alert? Am I availing myself of the means? Am I isolated? Am I, am I transparent with people when I do show up? Am I showing my cards? Am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I spiritually alert? 
Yeah, you'll have to forgive me. This is going to be a little bit of a bumpy ride. My printer was all messed up, so I'm reading the first page of, of, of these things uh, from a screenshot of my computer screen on my phone. So the text is all extra tiny. Um, but yeah, all right, I think we're finished with that little introduction. But the title of the sermon is simply Awake and at Work in the Master's House. Awake and at Work in the Master's House. So <laughs> I don't want to. All right, I'm going to skip that first point. So stay awake. Why? Why is Jesus telling his disciples in this particular context on the Olivet Mount, the Mount of Olives, that uh, it's his custom to go to? This is a very special mountain for Jesus. And he's giving this, this private conversation to his disciples and he's telling them to stay awake and he's he's certainly telling them to stay awake because of threats there's a real defensive posture here and uh the first threat is just religious deception religious deception and you see that from mark 13 and verse 5 mark 13 and verse 5. Mark 13 and verse 5. First things Jesus starts discussing. He says, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Religious deception, Jesus is warned that it's also there in verse 22 of Mark chapter 13. He says, for, in verse 22, he says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you this I have told you all things beforehand. So religious deception is a threat that Jesus wants his disciples to be very aware of. And it's something that you see it cropping up in the early church. It's so quick, that religious deception. It's wild that like you would think like the atheists or the secular humanists are going to be, the, or the false religions like, like Islam or something is going to be the things that are going to start crowding in and being the opponents of the church. But fake Christianity, false Christ, False prophets are the thing that actually starts creeping in. Yes, and 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 we're we're <laughs> take heed, you stand, take heed lest you fall. If we think that because we're in a church with some good doctrine and we we read our Bibles, I mean the Pharisees, they read their Bibles and it says they search the scriptures because they think that in them they have life, and yet they are they that testify about me, and they missed Jesus. They, they're, they're looking at the letter of the law, and they missed the, the word incarnate, enfleshed, standing right in front of them. And if we're not careful, we could do something very similar. We could know tons of doctrine. I love what Don Curran said recently in the men's group. He said, I despise cerebral Calvinism. He said, I despise cerebral Calvinism where it's just all head and there's no, there's no heart. You just use your doctrines of grace as a club to beat people with. 
that's a real, I mean, I've done it. My mom's sitting there. She'll probably tell you when I first came across the doctrines of grace, I'm sitting here in that cage stage. Like, Oh, I got to tell people about this. They're wrong. Those are minions. Um, but we, we've got to be careful that even as people with, with sound doctrine, true things, true things wielded the wrong way can be very damaging. We could, we, instead of using the word like a, a, a delicate and precise scalpel to get at the exact thing that it needs to be gotten at, we could wield it like a sword and just slash and do damage to people with our truth crusade. We've got an example of that right out there. Truth, truth, truth. Where's the grace? We see that downtown religious deception Religious deception. When we go down on downtown on Friday nights, the people that are coming in the name of Jesus, supposedly, I mean, we go down there and there's a little uh, a little booth set up, a literature booth just like that in the back of the our, uh, our our church right there, with little tracks and information from the Jehovah's Witnesses. They're coming in the name of Jesus. They're nice people. They've got Bible verses, but they're just twisting the deity of Jesus a little bit. Just False, false Christ. I'm coming in in his name. I'm coming in his name. Let me just tell you, we're his witnesses. They're false witnesses. They're false witnesses. They're there on Friday when we go to evangelize. They're right there with us. The true next to the false, right there with us. Also present on Fridays. This is so close to home for me, this religious deception thing, because I just see it and it's heartbreaking that the flock of God, some of the genuine flock of God, get get corralled into these false churches and false doctrines. I believe there's probably genuinely saved people that... When they're newly converted, someone just swoops in and steals years of their life in error, in error. We go downtown. We see this group called the Black Hebrew Israelites. They are absolutely racist. They preach a complete... I don't even know what gospel they preach. They just basically say that... Blacks and Hispanics, you're the only ones that can be saved. You're the true tribe of... Uh, uh, you're, you're true Israel and everyone else... Sorry, no, no, no go. Um, absolute venom, just venomous religious deception. They're so zealous. Oh man, the Mormons, so zealous. Riding around on their bikes, two by twos, the Jehovah's Witnesses, knock, knock, knock. They're so zealous, but they're, they're engaged in, they're deceived and deceiving. So Jesus is warning the disciples, you guys got to stay awake. You guys got to stay awake from this. Some examples of this that were happening in the early church, um, they come from 2 Timothy 2.18. Religious deception in the early church. You don't got to turn there, but I won't be mad at you if you do. It's just 2 Timothy 2.18. It says, Hymenaeus and Philetus saying the resurrection already happened. So 2 Timothy 2.18, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth. They were in the truth. They were presently, they had a point that they were all right and then they just, they swerved. It's not like they careened off the road real quickly. It was just, a, it was a swerve. They swerved from the truth and they're doing what? They, they didn't just keep this to themselves, but they were saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith 
of some. Leading people astray by presenting a strange doctrine about the resurrection. These guys aren't even denying the resurrection like the Sadducees did. They didn't believe in the resurrection, the Sadducees. And so they're not denying the resurrection. No, 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 we believe. We believe in the resurrection. Um, We're just presenting an alternate view. We think that it already happened. Religious deception. It's coming on so quickly into the genuine church of God. Religious deception, Christian deception, affirming the resurrection, just putting putting it at a, on a different little timeline there, and upsetting the faith of some. Then Second Timothy three one through five talks about people that have they just have such a bad reputation. I mean, he's using like really heavy words in Second Timothy three one through five. He's saying these people are selfish, they're proud, they're slanderous, and somehow he also says this. He says that they have an appearance of godliness. An appearance of godliness while being selfish, proud, slanderous, imposters. Titus 1, 11 and 16 talks about the circumcision party. talks about Jewish myths. It talks about people professing to know God but denying Him by their works. They're, they're, they're all talk. Oh man, charismatic uh, speakers. I'm not talking about the charismatic the denomination, but someone who could just talk good, talk good. They profess to know God. They 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 can even sound like like really really well spoken. But then their works says they're denying them by their works. They're they're hypocritical. But that's just one of the reasons that Jesus is warning the disciples and us that this religious deception thing is something you need to you need to stay awake. You need to stay awake. When I look at that definition for that word, um, it's called uh, Gregorio, and it means to watch, to give strict attention to, to be cautious and active. I don't get any passive, oh, just let go and let God, you know, he's got you, you're good, once awake, always awake, you know, he converted you and you're just, you're, you're going to be all right, don't worry. He's not talking like that at all. He's, he's giving these prodding warnings saying, oh, you guys have got Gregorio, be cautious, be active. Listen to this last little definition, it says, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So there's a heavy kind of connotation of just defensiveness and perceiving threats that are, that are real, religious deception. Then he goes on to talk about persecution. If you look in verse 9 of Mark 13... Verse 9 in Mark 13, he says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. This is persecution from religious folks, beaten in synagogues. And you got persecution from the government. Um, in verse 9, it says, Governors and kings. It says, And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Then tragically, it gets even closer to home. In verse 12, talks about persecution from, from family. It says, And brother will deliver brother over to death. 
and and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Persecution from religious folks, from the government, from family. Man's enemies will be those of his own household in some cases. And then just says in verse 13 simply just from all. It says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. These disciples and we need to have a frame of mind of spiritual alertness because there's just such hatred. There's such hatred for the true church and the true people of God. I mean, false, seeker-sensitive Christianity, you're not going to get a lot of daggers thrown at you when you're smiley Joel Osteen. And I know (laughs) probably most of us are not going to be hoodwinked by something like that, but it's so prevalent. I feel so privileged to have found my way through the minefield of American Christianity into a church that's just sound. When I bump into newer believers, like when Adrian and Hunter, and they're telling me like, oh, this is, you know, I just got recently saved, and this is the first church I've ever been a part of. I had to wander through so much weird stuff. And and the Lord used much of my time in charismatic churches, and I eat the meat, spit out the bones. I'm keeping some of the stuff, but a lot of bones. I've had to dislodge from my trachea. A lot of things I've had to unlearn. So when people tell me this is like the first church they've been a part of, you're so blessed. You're so blessed to be in a place. I mean, you still have to have your guard up. (laughs) You still have to listen. You still have to scrutinize. The Bereans were commended for being people who, even when a genuine apostle came to them, they're, they're sitting there and going back to the book and saying, all right, does this line up with what the Bible says? You still got to be that. Even so, you don't even let your guard down with, with, being right here. But, oh, I'm just so grateful that by and large, I could just sit in that seat and listen to faithful preaching of the Word of God and not feel like I'm going to get swerved from the truth or wander off into some weird prodding warning saying, oh, you guys have got Gregorio. Be cautious. Be active. Listen to this last little definition. It says, to take heed lest through remission and indolence, some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So there's a heavy kind of connotation of just defensiveness and perceiving threats that are, that are real, religious deception. Then he goes on to talk about persecution. If you look in verse 9 of Mark 13... Verse 9 in Mark 13, he says, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. This is persecution from religious folks, beaten in synagogues. And you got persecution from the government. Um, in verse 9, it says, Governors and kings. It says, And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Then tragically, it gets even closer to home. In verse 12, talks about persecution from, from family. It says, And brother will deliver brother over to death. And, fa- and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put 
to death. Persecution from religious folks, from the government, from family. Man's enemies will be those of his own household in some cases. And then just says in verse 13, simply just from all. It says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. These disciples and we need to have a frame of mind of spiritual alertness because there's just such hatred. There's such hatred for the true church and the true people of God. I mean, false, seeker-sensitive Christianity, you're not going to get a lot of daggers thrown at you when you're smiley Joel Osteen. And I know (laughs) probably most of us are not going to be hoodwinked by something like that. But it's so prevalent. I feel so privileged to have found my way through the minefield of American Christianity into a church that's just sound. When I bump in, prodding warnings saying, oh, you guys have got Gregorio. Be cautious. Be active. Listen to this last little definition. It says, to take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. So there's a heavy kind of connotation of just defensiveness and perceiving threats that are that are real religious deception then he goes on to talk about persecution if you look in verse 9 of mark 13 verse 9 in mark 13 he says but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues this is persecution from religious folks, beaten in synagogues. And you got persecution from the government. Um, in verse 9, it says, governors and kings. It says, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Then tragically, it gets even closer to home. In verse 12, talks about persecution from, from family. It says, and brother will deliver brother over to death. And and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Persecution from religious folks, from the government, from family. Man's enemies will be those of his own household in some cases. And then just says in verse 13, simply just from all. It says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. These disciples and we need to have a frame of mind of spiritual alertness because there's just such hatred. There's such hatred for the true church and the true people of God. I mean, false, seeker-sensitive Christianity, you're not going to get a lot of daggers thrown at you when you're smiley Joel Osteen. And I know (laughs) probably most of us are not going to be hoodwinked by something like that, but it's so prevalent. I feel so privileged to have found my way through the minefield of American Christianity into a church that's just sound. When I bump into newer believers, like when Adrian and Hunter, and they're telling me like, oh, this is, you know, I just got recently saved. And this is the first church I've ever been a part of. I had to wander through so much weird stuff. 
And, and the Lord used much of my time in charismatic churches, and I eat the meat, spit out the bones. I'm keeping some of the stuff, but a lot of bones. I've had to dislodge from my trachea. A lot of things I've had to unlearn. So when people tell me this is like the first church they've been a part of, you're so blessed. You're so blessed to be in a place. I mean, you still have to have your guard up. <laughs> you still have to listen. You still have to scrutinize. The Bereans were commended for being people who, even when a genuine apostle came to them, they're, they're sitting there and going back to the book and saying, all right, does this line up with what the Bible says? You still got to be that. Even so, you Don't even let your guard down with, with being right here. But, oh, I'm just so grateful that, by and large, I could just sit in that seat and listen to faithful preaching of the Word of God and not feel like I'm going to get swerved from the truth or wander off into some weird direction, imbalanced direction. So persecution, religious deception. Then if we go over to Luke's account, um, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just read it for you. In Luke's account of this Olivet Discourse in Luke 21, 34, Jesus tells them, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. He's talking to his like inner circle of, of apostles that are going to build the church. And he's saying, you guys... Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. That's a little bit surprising that this is what Jesus is telling them. But it just goes to show, you who stand, take ye lest ye fall. If the disciples, if the apostles, if the people that Jesus has charged with the building of the church um, in that early time, if they are needing these kind of warnings, then who are we if we think, oh, you know, well, I'm good. I got, I got the doctrines of grace. I got the internet. You know, I could do lexicon word searches. I'm good. I'm straight. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to worry about my heart being weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Um, we do. We have to be extremely, extremely watchful. So distraction. Distraction. Both sinful distraction and kind of just lawful distraction. Um, there's uh, one of the accounts, I think it's Luke 17, 20-30, and he's just saying, just like in the days of Noah and then also in the days of Lot, he says, this is what they were doing. Eating and drinking, marrying, giving, giving in marriage. So young people, older people, Buying and selling, just doing business, working, planting and building. Just these are industrious, productive things. It says, just like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, when they were doing all these things, just lawful kind of things. Maybe the eating and drinking has some sense of like dissipation and partying and you know, but all of these other things, it just looks so normal, and yet Jesus is warning at the, the time of my coming in the last days, this is going to be the kind of stuff that people... It, everything's just going on so, so much like business as usual. And the world, even when things start going, getting crazy, can just be lulled into complacency because everything looks like it's just continuing like normal. And you see that 
in 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, it says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? I don't get the sense that these are unchurched people. These are people that are aware of the second coming of, of Christ. And they're saying, <laughs> come on, stay awake, stay alert. Okay, okay, but where's the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What, what's, what's the fuss? We can eat, we could drink, we could do our business. I'm a Christian and I didn't. Listen, Relax. Relax with all this. You're, you're freaking me out. Relax. That's scoffing to have this bad eschatology. This is complacency that sets in and an unwatchfulness and a distractedness and carried awayness with the cares of life based on just having bad eschatology. An eschatology that denies the doctrine of imminence. That, like Pastor Jeff was talking about, coming soon. 2,000 years ago, coming soon. Coming soon means coming soon. He is not concerning us with the time and the when and the date setting. He's just saying soon. And therefore, stay awake. Stay awake as though it could happen at any moment because it can. There's all the, <laughs> the people on YouTube and the people that make the big old whiteboard charts and have all these detailed kind of breakdowns of, well, this is when it's going to happen. I don't know. Anyone... Uh, Remember the time of a man named Harold, Harold Camping. I, I was a Christian, I was saved at that time when Harold Camping was date setting with great vigor. This was not like it was just his local church that he was date setting with. He was making billboards and campaigns. He was absolutely committed. He believed that the second coming of Christ was happening at a time that he knew the precise time of. And he was like, well, if he's coming back, I'm spending all the budget. I'm getting rid of everything. He convinced people to sell their businesses. He was getting these billboards. He he mobilized people. I I run into one of these guys in a subway in New York. I still I think I still have his phone number in my phone. His name was Theophanes. He's an older man. He was like 50 something. And he has tears in his eyes and he's warning me, it's happening soon, man. You got to get ready. If only he had listened to the simple words of Jesus, uh, it's not for you guys to know. It's not for you guys to know. It's not for you guys to know. But here's what you do need to know. Just stay awake. Live as though at any moment it could happen. Jonathan Edwards had one of those resolutions. I'm, I'm going to maybe not get it exactly right, but the, the sense of it was resolved. Not to be engaged with anything that at the Lord's coming would make me uh, shrink away with shame. That's kind of a heart check, isn't it? That, that actually that really helps me at times. I, I have this kind of in the back of my mind, if I'm just sitting there on like YouTube, I'm going to be candid with you guys about the things that make my eyelids heavy. When I'm just on YouTube, every now and again, there'll just be this little thought of like, you want him to come and find you like this? If he comes and finds you doing this, aren't you going to be a little bit embarrassed? It's not like I'm resting my eternal security on, you know, if the moment of his return, I'm, I'm doing something silly or not. But that helps me. It's just a little, a little prod that makes me think, okay, that's enough. And not just 
for the avoidance of, of bad things or silly things or distracting things, but also as like a, a, a compelling push towards good things. When I think I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm just a little bit tired, I'm a little bit discouraged. I'm like, I don't want to go downtown and evangelize. And then I've had this happen where, what if he comes back? What if that's how he finds me? Finds me just down there, just heralding, crying, pleading with people, saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And then, boom, it happens. That, that's, that's motivation, not just to avoid bad behavior, but to go out and engage in the kind of thing that you would want to be found doing. Imagine if you're just a parent, a mom, a dad, and you're just walking, you're, you're tired as anything, and you're just like, you know what? No, let's read a chapter of the Bible together as a family. Boom, he comes back. He finds you doing something simple like that. Not a bunch of flashy fireworks. You're just doing what's been given to you to do, stewarding what you've been given well. So it's a motivation towards towards good behavior. This is not this stay alert, stay awake thing is not just uh, okay. There's threats. There's threats. I'm paranoid. I gotta I gotta make sure that I don't get deceived. I gotta make sure that persecution. Uh, I'm, it's not like a paranoid thing strictly. It's not a defensive thing, but it's also to be awake for the opportunities. The opportunities, seizing the opportunities for faithful service in the master's house. That's what this parable is, is, is communicating in Mark 13, and it goes in line with this same motif that's found, found elsewhere. You'll remember the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas, which is very similar, and the, the rebuking, scathing one that he gave to some of the, uh, the scribes and chief elders, the parable of the unfaithful tenants. The basic ingredients of these kind of parables from Jesus is, I've given you something. I've given you something. I want you to manage it well. And I'm coming back to see what you did with what I gave you. We could really, if, if we're not staying alert, if we're not watchful, if we're not on guard, we're not only going to make ourselves vulnerable to all manner of threats that come at us, we're also going to miss out on opportunities. Opportunities for faithful service in the master's house. So when he tells these parables, he's sharing with us how he views his kingdom, how he views his church, what he expects from his servants in his household. He's giving house rules and setting household expectations. We are not left at all with confusing or unclear instructions. Essentially, it's just this. Use what I give you. I have given, if you're a born again Christian, you have been given something for the upbuilding of the church. And whether it's some flashy thing or some just beautifully hidden thing, I love, I love the, where, where Jesus is, is separating the sheep and the goats. And he's, he's talking to people and he's saying, oh, you visited me when I was sick. You visited me when I was in prison. You, they were, the, these people, these sheep that had these, good works that aren't preaching and teaching and stuff, their mercy ministry. You did good things for me when I needed good things. I was down and you visited me. These people, these sheep are like, when did we even do that? 
I we they were just doing what most effortlessly flowed from the Spirit of God burdening them to care about other people instead of just being insular and focused on themselves. And I have someone very specific in mind, my dear wife. I love, <laughs> she's making a face. I, I believe that the ministry, the thing that the Master has given my wife is just the ministry. I said, Danny, I think your ministry is just being a friend. You have such a bandwidth for friendship, such a close friendship. People just feel disarmed and at ease with you. And you're constantly thinking about them. She has like these like rituals where when she's mopping, she thinks of this person. When she's doing laundry, she thinks of this person. She has just these, she, she and, and prays for them and thinks of them and sends them a text or sends them a sermon. It's commendable. It's beautiful. And I, I don't, I don't have it. It's a, I believe that it is a spiritual gift that she is just that thoughtful. But I say that just to encourage some of you who might think like, oh, well, you know, sure, I believe that the Lord has gifted me with, with something for the upbuilding of his church. But, I don't know. Friends, such simple things, things that you maybe don't even perceive that you're doing are going to maybe be mentioned at that last day of judgment, separating the sheep and the ghosts, and you're going to be delightfully surprised. It's like that thing that I was just, I just thought about that sister. I thought about that brother. I sent them that encouraging text message. I prayed for them in the moment, and they didn't even know. It was just totally private. And yet it will be rewarded openly. I find that very encouraging for some of those under the radar giftings, um, but everyone has has something, and we got to stay awake so that we're we're just looking for those those things. Don't despise quote unquote small gifts. Don't despise being a pinky. Don't 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 sit there being like, oh well, I'm not a mouth. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. I'm not I'm not someone who has some kind of up there gift. Just please don't think that way, and be encouraged about the the little the little hidden things. But so he's given all of us gifts. He's given us things. He's told us to stay awake so that we're aware of opportunities for faithful service in the master's house. He wants us awake, not just like, all right, Lord, I'm awake till you return. But it's awake with the clear implication for, for work, for service, for doing stuff, for being a living, active body. So here I would just pivot into just the marvel the marvel of living in the master's household who's the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household this has like application really pressing like a the, the disciples in in many ways are part of this seismic shift where Prior to this Olivet Discourse, a little bit of just context and background for how the disciples are, are hearing this parable about the, the master's house and being left in charge. And he's going on a, large, on, a, on a long journey and he's going to come back and he's given each work to do. They've just witnessed Jesus coming to Jerusalem and he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's saying, oh... And he's, he's angry. There's, there's both of these going on. He's, he's flipping tables and he's, and he's weeping. So it's anger. Yeah, sure, anger. But there's also a heartbrokenness about Jerusalem and the temple. And he enters his house. It's his house. It's the temple. And he's flipping these tables and cleansing it out. And he's, he's, 
He's fulfilling that prophecy in uh, Psalm 69 where it says, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, paraphrasing it. But he's cleansing the temple. He says, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. And then when he's, he's leaving the temple and launching us into this Olivet Discourse, he, he tells them, he enters the temple, he says, my house is, is it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And then when he's leaving, he says, your house is left to you desolate. This is not my house no more. I'm building a new house. And then he tells the disciples, this is what starts this whole Olivet Discourse and conversation. He tells the disciples as they're just admiring the stones of the temple. And there's all this like patriotic, messianic, Israel-centric expectation of, of, of what the Messiah is going to do. And the temple's there and they're just admiring it and saying, look at this beautiful temple, master, teacher, do you see it? Look at the stones, look at the buildings. And then Jesus just delivers this step. Staggering he says, there's not going to be one of these stones that's left standing on the other. I'm, that house is left desolate. I'm leaving. And guess what I'm doing? And then he tells the parable. Some kind of service, some kind of role to play, some kind of thing to be participating in, in the body. And so that's one means of being awake, is just, just serving, being at work, being active. And so I have some more stuff here, but time is, is going short. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll close it off there. And I apologize if this was a bumpy ride. My printer is all messed up. Internet was all messed up. Got no sleep. But praise God, may he minister whatever needs to be ministered to each individual um, where they're at. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, before you came and found us, we were not just sleeping, we were dead. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for putting us in your household with work to do, with responsibilities, with duties that matter and build up your body. Lord, things that when you return, you're going to, there's going to be people that you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now the work's over. Now the watching's over. Enter into my rest. Lord, keep us till that moment. <laughs> till he returns or calls us home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Lord, just keep us standing in the grace that you provide, laboring in the grace that you provide, the energy you provide. Please help us stay awake and at work in you, our master's household. We're trusting you for this. We can't muster it up by ourselves. Please help pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.